Hello, friends, and welcome to the Afternoon Tea Literary Society podcast. I'm your host, Brianne, and this week we are going to be discussing the prologue of The Book Thief by Marcus Susak, as well as the first part of The Book Thief. But first things first, how is everybody doing this week? I know this past week since we last met has been pretty hectic, um, especially within the United States, and I don't see that changing within the next foreseeable future, but I mean, one can only hope, right? Anyway, before we get into a discussion about this book, I would like to give a trigger warning, um, being that this book is narrated by death, um, we are going to see and notice a lot about death and we are actually hit with scenes of death very early on. Um, this past year with the virus that's going around as well as with just normal everyday life, um, death seems to be surrounding us and if you're still going through your cycle of grief um, I'd like to give you this opportunity like if this is going to be a very difficult discussion for you if this is going to trigger your grief even harder um, I'd like to give you the opportunity to just step away to turn off the podcast Um, I know it's you know probably not a big deal to a lot of people but uh, (laughs) As someone who has been through grief, who still continues to go through grief, I understand that sometimes it can be a little difficult to have to hear about more death and even traumatizing to hear about more death. Um, So if that's you, then friend, I totally understand. You can meet us again when you see us post a new uh, book on our Instagram that like that'll kind of signal that it's safe to return and there'll be no more discussion of death Um, but for now if you're uncomfortable or might feel a little more saddened and it's not productive to your grief or the healing and grief then um, I totally understand and you're always welcome here whenever you're ready Um, but yeah I just wanted to throw out that warning before we get started. Okay, now to get started. So with the podcast, I wanted to do some summaries. Um, Sometimes I know there are some very fast readers out there. I am not one of them. I actually have my master's program starting up again. um, Well, the semester is starting up again next week. Um, So I know that's going to keep me busy. So I'm not as fast of a reader. I read when I can, but I know that there are some people out there that are speed readers, even on top of everything else you guys have going on. So if you forget, um, by the time you come to the podcast, then hopefully the summary can remind you of what happened. Um, A little fair warning, the summary is I literally have written down by hand. Um, When I'm reading, I have a notebook next to me. I note down page numbers. I highlight in my book, I make notes in my book. Um, I have my notebook next to me kind of notating keywords or even just page numbers. Um, I have phrases written down just in case I wanna come back to it. And for the episodes, I hand write out my summaries without looking online, without being like, 
with something that's integral. These summaries are based on what I found important in the parts or chapters, if you will. Um, so yeah, if I don't include something that you thought was important, I'm very sorry. Um, if anything, if you guys want to have a better summary, I'm sure there's some online. But anyway, I digress. So for the prologue, um, we're introduced to death as the narrator and told a little bit about how he, quote, sees humans and the colors that they possess once they've passed on. Um, and in this way, death is humanized because he's given emotions and sort of this complex thought of being death, having to collect souls, being viewed as the bad guy all the time. There's definitely this tone of like being hurt and defensive with when he talks about himself, like when he mentions that he is nothing if not nice or he gently picks up souls from their bodies. Um, he tries to take people's attentions away from the, the dying souls so that way he can sneak in when they're not looking. Um, which I think is very interesting way of humanizing death. Um, and in the prologue too, because we're looking at things through death's eyes, uh, we see that a child dies and we later find out that that's actually Liesl's little brother that was meant to go with her to this foster home. And then we also find out that this is also set in World War II. And then in part one, we formally meet Liesl as her name, Liesl Memming. Memminger. And then Death recounts Liesl's experience of when her brother died and kind of takes a closer look at her rather than the situation of the death that occurred. We are also told that Death is actually very curious of Liesl. And then within that experience of this time that he meets Liesl, she steals her first book. Later in part one, we meet the book's big players, the Hubermans, or Ubermans, sorry, and the Steiners, namely Rudy Steiner. Hans is described as a gentle and very caring soul, whereas Rosa Uberman is very tough and iron-like. Something else I found interesting in this part was the mention of Germany having poor neighborhoods. I'm not sure why, but I thought this was interesting to note as in the summary um, because it's taking place in World War II. There's a note that under Hitler's rule, the economy was booming, but of course there are still poor neighborhoods in Germany and where Liesl Memminger and the Ubermans live, this is the poor side of Germany. And that's why Rosa and Hans Uberman had to foster children in order to get some sort of assistance from the government. Some other takeaways from part one is that Liesl Memminger is not literate, but she is tough, and Rudy Steiner just wants a kiss. So for the next part, I want to get into a further discussion of the book. But when I was thinking about how I wanted to sort of frame or organize this podcast, my first thought went to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. It's this podcast that reads through the Harry Potter novels as a sacred text um, by a couple of uh, religious studies students, Vanessa and Casper. And 
I came to this podcast when I needed them needed it the most. Um, right now I'm kind of on a break because I feel like I need a break from JK Rowling, but it, you know, just the sentiment behind reading books that you love as sacred speaks well and deeply into my soul growing up through my elementary, middle school, and high school years, I went to a religious school. And while I wasn't necessarily fond of all of the staff there, there are definitely a few that when they spoke or when they taught, it spoke and lit something up in my soul. And listening to Harry Potter and the sacred text kind of feels the same way. I like that ritual of coming together and, and reading something as sacred. And I wanted to do the same thing with the book thief. Um, I'm solo <laughs> um, for right now, at least. And I don't necessarily have a, a partner to talk to. So I can't really do Havruta reading practice, which if you listen to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, you would know. But if not, it's a Jewish sacred reading practice where it's between two people so it makes it a, a little difficult and also I think with the nature of this book it would be easier for me to start with Florilegium which is what we're going to be going through today. So like I had mentioned I had first heard of these sacred reading practices through Harry Potter and the Sacred Text but I was trying to find a good way I guess of describing it and I came across this website by Blessed, or Blessed, depending on where you're from, blessedbookspodcast.com. And it kind of describes what Florilegium is. So I will go ahead and describe it for you guys. So based on their website, which I'm going to assume is correct, <laughs> because this is something that I've heard Vanessa and Casper on Harry Potter, the Sacred Text describe. So the word Florilegium is, in, is from the Latin flos, meaning flower, and Legere meaning to read. The literal definition is a gathering of flowers or collection of fine extracts from the body of a larger work. It is a word adapted from the Greek word for anthology, which has the same etymological meaning. The sacred practice of Florilegium was first used by medieval monks. They would take excerpts from the writings of church fathers or pagan philosophers like Aristotle to create compilations about similar themes or doctrines. To practice Florilegium, you choose two or more flowers from the text, that is small snippets, just a word or phrase of the text that really spoke to you. You put these flowers of text together in a bouquet to see what it creates and what it offers you. In other words, you see what meanings and wisdoms you can find by analyzing the different flowers in the context of only each other. So that's Florilegium. There's also another sacred reading practice practice that's called marginalia. Um, I'm sure you can sort of derive a little bit of meaning just from the word, but it has to do with you writing at the margins and then kind of reading it with a partner and seeing how you derive that from each other or like what bits of wisdom you derive from each other that way. However, I am going to start with Florilegium and I do actually believe that the way that the book thief is written does very well with Florilegium just because of the chapter sizes and also the little excerpts that death includes. Um, so yeah, 
I actually have some, some of them I have whole sentences. Oops, sorry guys. Uh, I'm going to do it my way. This is my podcast. Anyway, um, so I'm just going to get into it. I've noticed a theme here, but maybe I'll talk about it later. So to dive into this next section of the discussion, I'm just going to go ahead and start. <laughs> so I kind of separated into two and then we'll come back and see if there are any similarities between prologue and part one. So for some of them, I have page numbers written next to my um, quotes and phrases, but some of them are like full on sentences. Sorry guys. Um, so on page 15, I have the survivors. And then later on on the page, it says they have punctured hearts. They have beaten lungs. And then on page 23 is death speaking. And it's just a sentence, but it says, please, again, I ask you to believe me. Like I said last year, I personally have not experienced a death related to the situation going on right now, but I have experienced death and I have family members and friends who have experienced death because of coronavirus. And I know I have family members who work in healthcare who have kind of talked about how hard it's been, how difficult it is to see, especially at the beginning of all of this in March you know, seeing ages, all ages come in difficulty breathing and it's just been a hard year. Um, and in all of these quotes, it's death speaking. The whole prologue is just death speaking. But he, he had mentions that he needed a distraction from his work because these survivors of people who die, they have punctured hearts and they have beaten lungs. And as I mentioned in the intro to this podcast, I lost my father when I had just turned 18. When someone dies, we tend to just look at the fact that the person is no longer with us. There are survivors. And I, I guess I never really thought of it that way as being a survivor of death. But there are people sometimes who are even closer to the person who died. And they have punctured hearts and, and they have beaten lungs. And I, I guess I never understood what a beaten lung was in a survivor. But when you're in the middle of your grief and sometimes you have to go into a panic, it's hard to breathe. And I just think this is so beautifully said. And then that line where, where death says, please, again, I ask you to believe me. Just that phrase, believe, is really what a lot of people who are going through grief sort of ask of people. There comes a point where sometimes people will say, mm, well, it's been a year. It's been two years. And there are these sort of people who want to gatekeep what timeline your grief is on when you start grieving, when you stop grieving, even how you grieve, there are just people who will always have something to say about your life and how you go about it. And I think there comes a point where people just say, please believe me, like I am going through this deep sorrow. My heart is punctured. 
It, it doesn't feel like it's working properly anymore because of this massive grief I just went through. Please believe me. Like, how many times do I have to ask? Even a year or two after when I felt like I could grieve when I started to read this book, I really only felt like I could read or grieve when I was by myself because I didn't feel like anyone would believe the depth of such sorrow. And even with everything happening with COVID, you know, there are some people who don't understand still the depth of one's sorrow. And even though I've been through grief and bereavement and a death in my family, a big one at that, I will never know what it's like to have gone through what some people have gone through through this past year. COVID is difficult enough, but have but having to grieve, having to go through a loss during COVID, I can't even imagine. So to anyone who has lost anybody this past year, due to COVID or not, I believe you and your depth of sorrow and grief. And I am so sorry if no one else has been able to see it or has been able to even try to believe your depth or sorrow of grief. So for part one, moving on <laughs> from that very heaviness, um, part one on page 31, this is when death revisits what Liesel's brother's death was like to her. And it says, somewhere in all the snow, she could see her broken heart in two pieces. And then on page 33, he says, that's the sort of thing I'll never know or comprehend what humans are capable of. In page 43, my last one. I want to focus on, there's, it's a whole sentence, but I want to focus on this phrase that says, the brute strength of the man's gentleness. And this is describing Hans Huberman. So with these collections of flowers, <laughs> somewhere in all the snow, she could see her broken heart in two pieces. That's the sort of thing I'll never know or comprehend what humans are capable of. Brute strength of the man's gentleness. So I guess what I'm getting from these or the wisdom that pops out is it's incredible how even death, who is meant to be, in this book at least, a supernatural entity, if you believe in Hades, a type of Hades, a type of God. It's He's supernatural. And yet, he, in all his supernaturalness, cannot comprehend human capability, human resilience, human strength. People say they need superhuman strength to get through things, and yet here is death all in awe of the human capability to move on, to pick oneself up 
and to continue. On the page 31 with the mention of the heart in two pieces, I honestly, I think I saw that again because, you know, even though I reread, this is my second reading of this book. I guess I never seen that. I, I guess my tears were too busy <laughs> crowding my eyes. I did not see that line. But I just think the imagery is so beautiful. It says somewhere in all the snow, she could see her broken heart in two pieces. Because if we remember, Liesel's brother's death happens on a train. And then they have to stop and bury her brother in the snow at some random location. And this one piece of her heart is just in the snow. It's literally her brother. And it, that means the heart in her chest is no longer whole. That means her other half is in the ground. And I think it's, that's a very easy sentiment to relate to, especially when you have had a close one, a close family member, a close friend pass away. It's just very easy to relate to. But the next phrase, when death says that he'll never be able to comprehend what humans are capable of, because right before that, he had mentioned that Liesel got up and walked and she was moving and he's not even able to comprehend how. Because as anyone who has ever experienced any kind of grief will tell you, sometimes it's hard to even feel like you're alive, to feel like you're a member in the society. It's difficult to even want to get out of bed. And yet Liesel did it. Liesel kept going. And, you know, very small insert here. But if you've experienced a death of a loved one and you've made it this far into the episode, I want to applaud you for sticking with me. And also for making it this far, not just in the podcast, but in life, you're doing the thing every day. Every time you wake up, you open those eyes, you are doing it, living life, the thing that you probably thought you could never do again. And if no one's told you this lately, I am proud of you. You go, you. Anyway... I don't have very great transitions, but <laughs> my very last quote or phrase or flower, however you like to think of it, is on page 43, and it's a description of Anz Ubermann. It says that he had brute strength of gentleness, and I just think that's beautiful, because in the story we're told that Anz Ubermann there's not really much to him. He kind of seems like a passive character in his town. Rosa doesn't think very much of him, or at least she doesn't say good things about him. And yet, 
This man's strength is his gentleness. His gentleness towards Liesel, a little girl who just lost her brother, who is separated from her mother, who's had to adapt to such an abrupt world as one that Rosa Uberman lives in. She has children making fun of her. She's not as literate as other kids her age. She is going through a very traumatic point in her life. Not to psychoanalyze her. That's not what we're doing. This is a fictional character. However, as a child, there is a lot going on. And Hans Huberman is just being so kind and gentle to her. And this is what's allowing her to come out of her shell, to feel like she can call him Papa. And from all of this, I feel that the wisdom to be gathered here is that you can do it. You can pick yourself up because humans are capable of the greatest amounts of strength. But it takes the brute strength of someone's gentleness to help you heal. To help you get through this grief, through the trauma, through the pain. Because even, I'm not sure if you guys remember, but in part one, Liesel wets the bed more than once. She has these nightmares. She screams in the middle of the night and Hans Uberman comes to her side. He doesn't yell at her. He helps her take the sheets off, get them starting to wash. And he stays up with her and comforts her. And it's just this amount of gentleness that humans crave, especially children. But even if you're an adult, I don't think it's far off to say that we all would like just a little bit of unsuspecting kindness or even suspecting kindness from the people who are meant to, to love us, from the people who say they love us, from the people whose titles mean they're supposed to love us. And it's just like, even from this foster parent, it just shows that family can come anywhere in any shape, in any form. And all it takes is a little bit of gentleness and kindness to really he help heal someone or help someone in their healing process. So um, I think when I pair up the six phrases from the prologue in part one, I'm left with this theme of resilience and the resilience of humans, especially when we go through life and death and everything that's a part of the human experience. I'm also left with being reminded to have compassion for everyone who has lost somebody and I mean everyone death is not fun for anyone of any belief of any school of thought death is traumatic and we have to believe people 
in the amount of grief that they're having, even if they don't talk about their grief, believe that they are grieving and that there is a great depth of emotion there. And also grieving is not linear. So don't tell someone after a year or two years of experiencing grief that they should be over it. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Just friendly tip. Anyway, yeah. So I'm struck by the resilience of the human species, really. This urge to continue, even if you're unsure of what's to come next, even if you're put in an unfamiliar situation, the desire to keep pushing forward and living life is very, very strong. I've also gathered from this, I guess, is that even gentleness can help somebody in their healing process. And also you have to assume that Anz Uberman, living with a woman like Rosa Uberman in the middle of World War II, who's experienced World War I, <laughs> has seen enough trauma in his life to know that people need kindness and gentleness. And that's wonderful. Some people who experience trauma, that's not their response to others in the middle of their traumatic experiences. And the fact that Hans Ubermann is able to still be so gentle and kind shows off this further theme of resilience within humankind. And I just think that's lovely. <laughs> However, that's all I have for now, guys. Next week, we'll talk about part two. And I think I mentioned it earlier in the beginning of the podcast, but my <laughs> I do have my semester starting again next week. So I don't feel that I can be as ambitious as doing a full part two and three. So I'm going to limit myself to part two for now. Um, so next Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, we'll be here again reading part two of the book thief. And I'll figure out a theme once I start reading it. <laughs> um, however, I do have an email for this podcast. Um, but I guess I kind of want to still be able to have a discussion with you guys. Um, so that way it doesn't feel so lonely. <laughs> or if you guys want to. Okay, we'll start off if you want to. If you want to respond to an episode of the podcast, whether it be your own Florilegiums, whether it be your own thoughts and opinions on whatever I said, or even in addition to, or even flowers that you picked from the text. Um, let me know if you guys want to be able to send in emails or voice recordings. Um, that way I can open up that email, <laughs> email for you guys and just have it on my link tree um, on the Instagrams. <laughs> but if not, that's totally okay. Um, thank you friends for coming and I hope, I genuinely hope that this week is a lot better than the last. I hope that you guys receive some good news and if you do, let me know on the instas. Um, I love, 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 love rejoicing in good news. Um, that's all for this week guys. Um, 
Thank you so much for joining me, friends, and I'll see you next week. Bye!